Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Hey, turn to Nehemiah 2 for me, Nehemiah 2. And I wanna finish up this series. Um, I'm not sure live notes are working, kind of got the indication earlier that on the live notes end or however that works, not on our end, that they had some problems. So if you're trying to pull up live notes and it's not working, we apologize for that. We've been working with that organization trying to get that happening. But you'll have the scriptures up here on the screen. You'll have, I know you'll have it on your phone. Um, How many brought their Bible? Could you hold that up? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. Um, bring all that, open that up, and I believe, open your hearts to what God has for you today. I think today is a kind of a, everything had been set in the stage for today's message, and we're going to be in Nehemiah, as you can see, as maybe I've already said, Nehemiah 2. Typically, when we talk about Nehemiah, we talk about Nehemiah 4, and we'll certainly get there, where the scripture says to fight for your families, and that's where I was headed today. I, I had this plan from the beginning of the series. I felt like Nehemiah 4, we were going to land, and we are going to talk about fighting for your families, and we, we'll do some of that, but I believe that God was just speaking to me about Nehemiah 2, and I want to share some things out of that that really, I, I believe, speaks to where I feel like we're at today, like in our world, our, our culture, our society, the world that we live in today, and I believe that you'll feel the same as we walk this passage of scripture out. Um, but let me start there in Nehemiah 2. I'm gonna read verses one through 10, and then we'll go back and highlight a few things, but let's start there. Verse one says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Texas, uh when, <laughs> you know what it is, just say Texas and it's good, right? That's, that's all good right there, okay? Uh, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters of the to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me safe conduct or safe passage until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army, army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I believe this is a picture perhaps of we're living in the days of Nehemiah. I think we're living in a time that, as Nehemiah describes, we could easily find ourselves in. Nehemiah, let me give you a little bit of background about him. Nehemiah is neither priest nor king. He is simply a servant living in the palace serving the king. He's a regular guy. He's a guy from the people of Israel, but he's a guy that that, uh, many believe, studying out the Bible and the historical writings, that he was born in captivity. See, what happened was the uh, Israelites were in Jerusalem and Judah, and they were defeated by the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in and took them captive for 70 years. 
And after they did that, or after they defeated them, they tore down the walls of Jerusalem and burned it to the ground. They, for 70 years then, took the Israelites, or most of them, then into captivity. And then, uh, over a 70-year period of time in captivity, then the Persian Empire came and defeated the Babylonian Empire. And after that happened, then the children of God, a lot of them were released from exile, and many of them made their way back to Judah and Jerusalem. Many stayed in Persia, as did Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is now in service with the king. And now he's a cupbearer, the Bible says. And that, let me tell you what that is. It, it's, not a, it's not like a waiter. It's, it's a very important position. It's a very significant role. In fact, here he is at being born into captivity. And he's been raised there in the Persian, uh, the Babylonian for a while, in the Persian Empire. And he's grown up in a culture different than what he came from. He's in a culture submersed or immersed in a culture not his own. And now he's living in a palace. He's experiencing all the great things of the culture. Now, he had a job that had significance. but he was, So he was the one because he was the one responsible for tasting the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That was a big job because the Persians liked to change kings by poisoning them. So he was a man that obviously had courage. He was a man that he only won employee of the month one time. <laughs> it wasn't a whole lot of people lined up at the help wanted sign for that job, but he was the guy that had the trust of the king. King needed to trust you. And so very close to the king and his family. So that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in this moment then, and he hears, and we didn't go there in chapter one, but he hears in chapter one, he's speaking with his brother. His brother comes with some men that had just come from Judah and Jerusalem. And he inquires of them, he says, tell me about those in exile, the remnant of the people. And tell me about Jerusalem. And his brother and these men share with him that the people are in distress. They're troubled, they're disgraced. They're vulnerable to the enemy. And the walls of Jerusalem had not only been broken down, but had been burned. And when Nehemiah heard this information, the Bible says he sat down and wept. He wept for days. He mourned and he fasted and he prayed for days. And it moved him so much that he felt he needed to do something about it. And I love this picture of Nehemiah. So if I could, if I could just explain it a little bit more to you. He's, he's weeping and he's feeling a burden for his people. He's never been to Jerusalem. He's never been there, but he knows where he comes from. He's immersed in a culture that's not his own. He's immersed in a very worldly place and he's living the luxury of the palace. But something burdened him on the inside to go back to his people to help his family and rebuild his home. Can I put it in those terms this morning in context of our message? Nehemiah was burdened with the need to help his family and to rebuild his home. I wonder today, what burdens you? I know we live in a, in, a, in a world, in a society that there's tragic things happening all the time. I mean, my goodness, turn on the news. No, don't turn on the news, right? I mean, I had to stop it for a while. My emotions were overloaded. I know there's tragic things, unfortunately, sadly, and we're still praying for those affected by the tragedy in Uvalde, but over time, people will, will move on, and, and there's things happening around the world, and over time, we'll move on to the next, or the next immediate thing, but there's something different that landed on Nehemiah. He had a burden that went deeper than just what's happening around him. There was something in him compelling him to help rebuild his home and help his family, and I wonder today if we have missed or lacked that a little bit. It's easy, so Nehemiah had a great, he had a great life in a sense. I mean, there was some danger associated with it. But for sure, he's living in the palace, well taken care of. And yet, he did feel this burden. What's interesting to me, also, his brother and the other men, it didn't say they did anything. They just came and delivered some news and on they went. But not Nehemiah. 
So there's other people that are from the same place we're from, if you will, that have the same heritage we have, if you will, that have the, belong to the same family, if you will, the family of God. We're in this world, but we're not of this world, amen? We're strangers and aliens passing by. And yet, it doesn't say that they did anything, but Nehemiah was so moved that he did something and he went to the king. Things back home aren't good. Things back home are in ruins. There's no walls, no protection. Family and friends are vulnerable. Enemies harassing them and freely comes and goes. And now the, the person who, who told him didn't have that same feeling. And, and again, what moves you? Because it's not based on how other people respond. What moves you to action? What will you fight for? Nehemiah was troubled because of the condition of his people and of his home. What troubles you? Does the condition of your family trouble you? Does the condition of your home trouble you? And now when he comes before the king in verse two, he says he's sad. If we could go to Nehemiah 2, 2, it says he's sad. And the king notices it, not like a regular sad, like if you're just not feeling good, there's something deeper happening here. Nehemiah tells the, the king, asks him why you look so sad. This only can be a matter of the heart. Something grabbed his heart. Nehemiah was moved by his heart. And the king's like, what's wrong? This has to be the sadness of the heart. And he responds in verse three, my ancestors are, are the place where my ancestors, where I'm from, my family, my history, my heritage, my home is in ruins. And here's what I think happens in that moment as he's expressing it to the king. The king saw something in his heart. Nehemiah's realizing, I'm not here just to live in the palace. I'm not here for this cushy job. I'm not here just to serve wine. I have a higher purpose that I'm currently serving in. There's more to my life and existence on this planet than just having a job and making good money and living in a nice place. In fact, I'm here with a purpose. I'm positioned for a purpose and my purpose is that my family and my, my home is in ruins and I need to go do something about it. You and I are here not just for the job that we have. You and I are here not just to make money and make a living and do the things that we do. And those things are not bad. But that is not our purpose for being. Our purpose for being is to take care of our homes and take care of our families. That is our highest calling. That is our greatest purpose. And we live in a culture that's constantly trying to erode our values and break down our walls and our barriers to disrupt our family. And it should move you. It should move me. The things that happen in our world today have to grab our heart. Not just a momentary emotional response, but there has to be something that speaks to our purpose. Not just our moment. And no matter what you're doing in this life, your greatest purpose in life is your family and your home first. To make a difference there. My home, my people are in trouble. See, he realized his position wasn't for his importance. His position was for his impact. So king, my people, my home is in trouble. And even though I'm living in a Persian culture, a Persian world, this palace, it is not my home. No matter how things look to you today, where you are, this is not our home. Our number one priority, number one purpose is our family and our home. King, how can I be happy when the land of my ancestors suffers? King, how can I be content and comfortable when the land of my people, they're suffering? And Nehemiah makes an interesting statement because he says the land of my ancestors. See, he'd never been there. He'd never been there. See, he was born into captivity. And I don't know if you'll get the analogy this morning. I'll do the best I can to try and get the, paint the picture. You and I were born into captivity. And Jesus came to set us free. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. 
but we were born into captivity and before that, then we found the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ and then our life is not our own and we belong to the family of God. We have a new heritage now. We have a new legacy now and we may be in this world, but we're not of this world. And you may be born into captivity, but you are meant for greater things. And this world does not determine that. And this culture does not determine that no matter what's happening around about us. See, he had never been there yet. He identifies with his heritage rather than with his culture. I mean, it's one thing to be in the world, but not other. But are you identifying with your godly heritage more so than your worldly culture? That's pulling at us constantly, eroding our values and our morals. He was born into captivity, but he still knew where he came from. He is acknowledging that where he is does not define or determine who he is. In other words, don't ever trade Christ for culture. Don't ever trade Christ for culture. Don't ever let anyone push culture over Christ. And oh, are they trying. And it begins with our families and with our homes. See, we're in this world, but not of it. I've said that already, but you don't have to give up Christ to succeed in culture. You do have to give up culture to succeed in Christ. Because you cannot serve two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. So Nehemiah's navigating this now. And culture will drive you to comfort and convenience, but Christ will drive you to commitment and change. See, and the king asked him, what do you want? So Nehemiah is at a place where he responds to this question and his response, now going back to chapter one, after he heard the, the news, he, he broke down to weep and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And then he goes and asks God for favor when he goes before the scripture talks about the man being the king. And now he's before the king and the king's asking him, what do you want? And verse four, it asks him that question. Guys, if you can put verse four up there. The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then look at his very first next response. And then I prayed to the God of heaven. That's a good response, amen? But the cast, what do you want? In other words, what was the king asking him? Share your vision with me. So Nehemiah had to respond out of a vision and where'd that vision come from? Well, we, said, we already saw he just prayed. And then if you go back to chapter one, he spent time in prayer and fasting. And now all of a sudden, when he's asked by the king, what is it you want? Nehemiah now, here's it in this place of, now he's sharing his vision for his family and his home. And my question is, what's your vision? Do you have a vision for your family? I'm not just talking about, yeah, we wanna do good, love God, and all that, I get all that, I get it. yeah, me too. But what is it specifically you're believing God for for your family and your home? I mean, the king even asked him, do you have a time frame? Do you even have a time frame? And we gotta turn some things around. We gotta rebuild some walls. Okay, by when? By the end of the summer? Okay, then put your faith there. Maybe by the end, Pastor Don, by the end of the year, my family's gonna turn around, my marriage is gonna turn around, my kids are gonna turn around in Jesus' name, my home, no walls are gonna be rebuilt, and we're gonna follow God. What is your vision for your family? Do you have a vision for your family? But here's what I understand based on what Nehemiah, the progression to this point is, vision comes from God. Have you spent time asking God? Because here's what it is, God's, God's vision always brings God's provision. And we'll see that in a moment. So the thing you think might be impossible, the vision you have might be on the scope of your ability, great, it should be. Because you need God's provision, not yours or not man's. And so what does God say about your family? What does God say about your marriage? Not what does this world say. Remember, we're going with Christ, not culture. This culture's been trying to erode our, our walls, our, our boundaries for a long time, brick by brick by brick by brick. 
and subtly at times and sometimes in today's world in your face. But what is your vision then? Because don't, don't misunderstand me, the world, the devil has a vision for your family. And it is broken down walls where he can just come and go as he pleases. So Nehemiah's at a place where he has to share his vision. Send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it, he says. The vision was to get his people and help his people and rebuild his home. I think the, oh, I think the thing that we'll hear most from God when we ask God for a vision is our priorities, our family, and our home. Because what does it matter to win the whole world and lose your family, the Bible says. I mean, we can get caught up and we can have a vision to be successful in business, and we should have a vision for that. We can have a vision to do this and have this impact, we should. But if our home and our family is not taken care of, I believe the greatest vision God will give you is for your family and your home. And he will fund the vision. Because if you'll remember what we just read is after he shared the vision with the king, he said, can you write me a letter? How bold is that? Well, why not? Why not be bold? When it comes to your family and your home, ask God for the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. I don't wanna live like every other family, God. I don't wanna live like this world. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna follow you and I wanna walk in what you have no matter what the economy says, no matter what culture says. And I want, I want safe patches. I want your protection wherever I go in this crazy culture. And send your army with me. Those angels surround me wherever I go. And I want to use your timber. I want the resources of heaven, the finest this land has to offer, Lord, to fulfill the vision. What's the vision for again? Not for you, it's for your family and your home. See, it's always for somebody else, not ourselves. So what's your vision? So what are you asking God for then? You won't know what to ask if you don't have a vision. I'm just asking God for some money. Oh, great, I got a quarter for you. We don't even know what we need. Sometimes, because we've been so caught up in culture and stuff, we don't even know what we need. We don't even know what the Bible says is ours. Because when you ask what the Bible has, what God's vision, the word will line up with God's vision. When you ask that, God provides. So he'll provide his vision for your life. When you walk in his vision, you get his provision. And so Nehemiah's walking all this out now. In a culture that's not his own, in a world that's totally counterculture, he's taking a stand and he's expressing vision for his family and his home and the favor of God. He says, the only reason, the only reason I got this was because of the gracious hand of God. Thank goodness for the gracious hand of God. When you walk in the favor of God, it's because the gracious hand of God is on you. When you, want the, you need the gracious hand of God is on you, that means you better walk in the vision God has for you and your family. When you walk in the vision God has for you and your family, then he brings a provision because his favor, because of the gracious hand of God is on you. When you're working on things for your family and your home, you should, every day, God, I thank you for the gracious hand of God on me today. I thank you for your favor. I don't care what this culture says. I'm going with Christ and your vision for my family. Father God, and when I step out into that, the favor of God is mine. I have favor with both man and king. I have your protection that surrounds me. You even send angels round about me that I don't even ask for. And then Father God, and you provide. All my needs are met according to your riches and glory. The gracious hand of God. And the king granted his request. I love that. The hand of God was on him to carry out the vision. The hand of God is on you to carry out the vision of rebuilding your home 
and to restoring your family. The hand of God is on me. Rebuild your home. The hand of God. Wherever God's vision goes, God's provision follows. So Jerusalem lay in ruins, and so Nehemiah, he has to go see it. So he takes a journey out there with his letters, and he gets there, and he's so tired, a long journey, that the Bible says he rested for three days. And in the middle of the night, he gets up and takes a couple people with him, and I don't know if they all came with him or they were there, but he gets up in the middle of the night, and he goes to assess what's happening, because he doesn't know, he hasn't, he's never been there before, and he doesn't know what, really what shape it's in. He's heard these stories, reports. So he goes and he starts taking a journey around Jerusalem, and he's looking at the gates where they would have been, he's looking at the walls, and he's looking how, what the situation is, and, and he comes back to the people that were with him that night, and in verse 17 he says this, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, we are in great trouble. It wasn't that, well, this doesn't look so bad. <laughs> It was probably more like, wow, I never dreamed it was like this. You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruin and its gates have been burned with fire. And then I love this next sentence. But come, let us rebuild it. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Let us rebuild the wall. It doesn't matter how bad it looks to you. It doesn't matter how broken down, how burned out it looks to you, how burned out they look to you. It doesn't matter how broken they seem. You can rebuild under the gracious, mighty hand of God. It's his vision. Why wouldn't he supply provision for his vision? You just got to get a hold of that too. Do you know what the problem with his people in his home is? It's the walls laying ruins. We just saw that in verse 17. The problem is his walls lay in ruin. The problem today just might be our walls may lay in ruins. I don't know what it looks like. I know we all have problems. Maybe the, for many of us, there are no walls around our family or our home. Maybe we've had our walls torn down. We've had our gates burned you know, in Bible days, it's interesting when you look at walled cities, Jericho is the obvious one that comes to mind, but when you look at cities in the Bible and all throughout history, walls were your defense. In other words, they're what protected you. In other words, they're also what defined you. You were known by your walls. Jericho was known by its walls. You were defined by your walls. You were defined by your boundaries. Let me slide into that word for a minute. You're defined by your boundaries. And boundaries aren't about what you do. Boundaries are about what you don't do. And I think perhaps maybe we've lost our boundaries. So we're living in a foreign land. We're living in a foreign culture. See, our culture has removed walls. Our culture has come in and, and tried to remove the boundaries in our marriage, the boundaries in our family, our kids. The boundaries in our, in our morals, the boundaries in our values, the boundaries in our religion. And for many today, we've maybe lost our boundaries and haven't even realized it. And it's not that you're bad and I'm not bad, and it's not that you're foolish and I'm not foolish, you're not evil, I'm not evil, but your walls are down. And that's how the enemy gets in. That's how the enemy gets into our life. It gets into our marriage, it gets into our family, it gets into our finances because somewhere we've left the walls down and the enemy has weakened things and he's pulling things apart. He's, he's dividing through strife and division because our walls are down, because our walls determine our strength. And Proverbs 25, I didn't put this in your notes, but a, a person who looks, or a person who lacks self-control is like a city with broken down walls. 
That's why we have so much uncontrolled anger and hostility in our home. That's why I have so much fear and worry, so much depression. We have no self-control because our walls have been broken down. Our boundaries have been removed. It's not that you're wicked or weak. It's that our walls are down. And when you lose your walls, anything can get in and anything can get out. So let me ask this question, what's accessing you? What's accessing your family, your home, your life? Is it fear, anger, depression, insecurity, strife, rebellion? Well, it got in because our walls are down, our boundaries are down. See, you can have friends, but you have to have boundaries. And you can have TV, but you have to have boundaries. And you can have Netflix and Roku, but you have to have boundaries. And you can have the internet, come on somebody, but you have to have boundaries. And you can have mobile phones and your kids can have mobile phones, but you need to have boundaries. Because if you don't, culture's gonna come in and erode your boundaries and tear down your walls. And then once your walls are down, anything can get in. And we wonder sometimes why we face some of what we face. You can have a job, but you have to have boundaries. You can have a hobby, but you have to have boundaries. You can have money, but you have to have boundaries. And you can have disagreements, but you gotta have boundaries. You can't say everything you wanna say. You can't act the way you wanna act all the time. But the enemy comes in and erodes our walls, or our boundaries. In any area that we're being defeated, it's because our walls have been torn down or our boundaries are no longer in place. And so let me say this, and I don't mean this to be hard. I, I, I wanna just be completely honest because we have to have honesty and truth in the time that we live in. It's the truth that sets us free. But we can come in and sing today about pushing back the defenses and Jesus makes the darkness tremble and all that's true and wonderful. We can come back and we can worship the Lord and have no fear. We can come back and we can give generously into the Lord and we can serve and we can enjoy fellowship together. We can do all those things together, but we can still go home and be defeated and vulnerable because we have no boundaries or, or walls in our homes. Because that's where it really matters. That's where it really counts. And brick by brick by brick by brick by brick, the enemy will remove those. But brick by brick by brick by brick by brick, you can rebuild your walls. And God, the mighty hand of God will help you. We need a rebuilding spirit. We need a Nehemiah spirit to come into our life. We need a new beginning spirit to come into our life. We need a new boundary spirit to come into our life to build back the walls that have left us vulnerable to the enemy and to our culture. Nehemiah goes out at night and inspects the walls and he did a damage assessment analysis. <clears throat> I wanna encourage you to take an honest damage assessment analysis because without honesty, you can't address the issue. You don't know the gaps to fill in. You don't know where to repair the wall. But it's so important that you need to be honest. Maybe you need somebody to help you in your own life. I can't see it, can you see it in me? Where have I removed my boundaries? Take an assessment and to look and see where could you be or should you be by now if you had the right boundaries in place. See, everywhere the wall goes down, things get in and things get out. What areas, what walls do you need to build? Because we all do, we all have them. What does that look like for you? So Nehemiah assesses the damage and starts the building process. It took him 52 days to complete it. He set a time. The good part is though, the good part is that he built it out of burnt stones. Burned, broken down stones. That's what the scripture says. The walls have been broken down and have been burned. The good news is, Nehemiah 
built, rebuilt the walls with what was already existing. With some people might have discounted that as important, but he saw that as opportunity. So I, can you picture it, then Nehemiah's walking around, seeing it for the first time. He has to be overwhelmed by thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way. Look at all this. Maybe that rolled around him for a moment, but because his vision was not his vision, it was God's vision that he locked into. Because he's looking through God's vision now. God said to rebuild the walls. God said to rebuild my family. So God can take anything and make it happen. He can use what's been broken down and burned. He can use what's been discarded and forgotten. What other people would say is impossible. God, with all things, God is possible. And he's walking around looking, yeah, we can do this. Can you imagine the other guys with him? No, did you look right there? Yeah, no, 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 we can do this. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. The only thing we need is wood because wood had been burned up and you can't make wood out of nothing, right? But here's what God will do. God will give you favor to give you what you need. If you'll use what's already existing, God will add what you don't have. But you got to build with what you have and God will add what, what you don't have. So he had stones he could build with and God provided him not just what he needed, but he provided him timber out of the king's forest. He provided with the best that there could be. God will give you what you need beyond your imagination if you'll work with what you have. What you have, what is existing is enough to be, begin building and God will supply. Now think about this for a second because the timber growing in the king's forest, it had been growing for years and years and years and years and years and years. Who knows how long? But listen, God has been growing what you need. He's just waiting you to build with what you have. If you'll build with what you have, He's been working. Maybe he's been working hundreds of years. I don't know how long it took to grow those trees, but God knew one day those trees would be needed to rebuild the walls to protect the people of God. God knows what you need. He may have something set in motion hundreds of years ago. He's just waiting for you to pick up what you already have, even though it looks broken and burned out, and then he'll provide what you need to rebuild the walls in your life and your family. That's the favor of God. The hand of God. I know those stones have been broken and burned, but God will use whatever you give him. The gates have been burned, the wood is gone, but God will provide what's not there. If you'll just work with what's there. And it all begins with Jesus, the vision, God. Right, Psalms 118.22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the anchor, the foundation. And let me, read, let me read for you Ephesians 2.20. Here's what the word says. I didn't put it in your notes. This came to me this in my heart this morning. Christ Jesus himself, chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, start with Jesus and build your home to be a holy temple unto the Lord, joining every piece together. Verse 22 says this, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the home that he has. That's the vision he has. That's a vision you have to have. We need to get that vision in our heart because with God's vision comes his provision, the favor of God, the protection, the provision of God for what you need. And if you'll just start building with what you have, where you are today, start right, no matter how broken down you are, no matter how burned out you are, start right there and don't worry about what you don't have, God will provide. He's been preparing for years and years and years for this moment in your life. You just gotta rebuild your family and rebuild your home. It has to be a priority. I love that. So it's Nehemiah's looking at these things. He's 
probably asking himself the question I ask you today, do you believe you can still do something with what you have? You need to know that you can do something. God's the one that makes the difference in all this. I wanna read, I'm gonna skip ahead, read Nehemiah 4, 17. In this time there was an enemy, the enemies were there, three nations were there trying to distract them and threaten them. They didn't want those walls rebuilt. Can I tell you, the enemy's not gonna sit back He's gonna come. He doesn't want you to build a safe and secure environment for your family, a godly environment. He wants you to be consumed by the culture. He doesn't want you to be a Christ-centered home. He wants you to be a culture-centered home. And so he's gonna come after you. Verse 17 says this, in, in defense of all the enemy, he says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. They were building and they were fighting. They were building and they were fighting. They were fighting and they were building. And you build and you fight and you fight and you build for your family and you don't stop building and you don't stop fighting you build and keep building and you fight and keep fighting because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world and so because the enemy cannot destroy you or defeat you the enemy will try and distract you and so that's what happened so the enemy knew that they could not the the walls were completed and the gates were left off and so the, here comes the enemy trying to distract them trying to distract him from finishing that, trying to distract him from giving him a place of safety, a place of protection, giving an identity again. The enemy tried to come in and distract them. And I wanna encourage you, don't be distracted by the enemy because what happened is, and I'll, I'll save the time by reading it, what happened is the enemy came and stood at the bottom of the walls and looked up and called up to Nehemiah and says, come down here and talk with us. Come down here, we wanna talk to you about what's going on, what's happening. And Nehemiah looked down and said, why would I come down and talk to you when what I'm doing is so important? Rebuilding your walls to your home and restoring the relationships in your family is so important. You can't afford to get distracted by this world. You can't afford to get caught up in this culture. You can't afford to let the enemy come in and distract you from the high calling of building your family and your home. You know, the word says that Jesus reached down, grabbed our hand, pulled us up out of the miry pit and set our feet upon a rock. You know what that means? He's put you on a sure foundation. He's put you in the high place. So don't come down to the level of the devil. Don't come down, stay in your high calling. Stay in your high purpose. Fight for your family. Rebuild your home. Don't get distracted and come down to the noise of this world. Don't do it. Don't do it. Choose Christ over culture no matter what. No matter what, and know that he is with you. Don't come down off that wall. You keep building and keep fighting because what you're doing with your home and your family is more important than anything this world or this enemy tries to distract you with. That is our high calling, and that is our high purpose, and we shall not come down, and we will fight, and we will build and restore our families and our homes for the glory of God. And we'll change this world and not be changed by it. And we'll choose Christ over culture. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In my heart, my hope today. Listen, wrapping this up to just set, set before you what I feel like we're presented in this world today. Christ or culture, it's your choice. But get the vision in your heart that God has, and that's for your family. And that's for your home. And it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter if you're burned out and broken down. You just start today and give them what you got. Don't worry about what you don't have. He'll provide that. But line your vision up with God's vision. 
make it your highest calling, your highest priority. And God will be there and supply protection and provision and favor for whatever you need. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.